Good morning and welcome to Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts. I'm Rabbi Stephen Garten. In synagogues throughout the world this Shabbat, the parasha that will be read is entitled Ki Tavo. It begins in Deuteronomy chapter 26, verse 1, and continues through Deuteronomy chapter 29, verse 8. Let me give you a brief overview of the portion before I speak with my guest and look at some of the more interesting aspects of the parasha portion in specifics. Deuteronomy, as some of you will remember, is a series of conversations between Moses and the people of Israel as they stand ready to enter the promised land. In some of the conversations, Moses reminds the Israelites of their history, as many of the people ready to enter the land would not have been born when they left Egypt. Some of you will also remember that the generation that left Egypt uh, had to die out during the 40 years of wandering. And some of the conversations with Moses are meant to prepare the people when they go into the land. Kitavo in Hebrew does mean, when translated, when you enter. So in this particular conversation, Moses instructs the people of Israel, saying, when you enter the land, Kitavo, that God is giving to you as your inheritance, you shall settle it, settle it and cultivate it bringing the first ripened fruit, which in Hebrew are known as Bikurim, of your orchard, to the holy temple, and declare your gratitude for all that God has done for you. The parasha, weekly portion, also concludes the laws of tithing given to the Levites, the priestly class, the poor, and it details the instructions on how to proclaim the blessings and the curses on Mount Gerizim and Mount Evo, as discussed in a previous parasha known as Re'eh. Moses reminds the people that they are God's chosen people and that they in turn have chosen God. The parasha concludes with what is known as the tochacha, the rebuke. After listing the blessings which God will reward the people with when they follow the laws of Torah, Moses gives a long, harsh account of the curses that will befall the people should they not follow God's laws. He enumerates illness, famine, poverty, and exile. Moses concludes the people, the portion by telling the people that only today, 40 years after their birth as a people, have they attained, and I quote from the parasha, a heart to know, eyes to see, and ears to hear. 
With me this morning to discuss Parasha Kitavo is Rabbi Reuven Bolka, Rabbi Emeritus of Moxiki, a congregation Moxiki Hadas of Ottawa, Ontario, Canada. Rabbi Bolka is, as I said, the Rabbi Emeritus of the congregation. He is the host on CFRA of a weekly radio show known as Sunday Night with Rabbi Bolka. He is chair of the Trillium Gift of Life Network, an organization that oversees organ donations in Ontario, Canada, and he is a member of the Order of Canada. Rabbi Boko, welcome to Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts. It's a pleasure to be with you always. As it is a pleasure to chat with you, and I know that my audience appreciates having an opportunity to hear your words of Torah. The beginning of the parasha speaks about Bikurim. And By the way, can I make, can I make a, 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 a tangential remark on your introduction? Of course. So you, you mentioned uh, quite correctly the speaking about the, the Israelites being a treasure to God, which has been sort of looked, translated as being chosen. And then right after that comes all the blessings and the curses. So I always remind people, <clears throat> if you want to be chosen and and get all that, um, all those so-called advantages of it, be my guest. <laughs> In other words, it comes at a heavy price. To be uh, chosen that you have lots to do that you wouldn't have to. You'd have an easier time otherwise. Um as we both know, the tradition uh, certainly uh, indicates its knowledge that choosing uh, to be chosen comes with lots of ramifications. Uh, right. Like if you choose somebody for you to be your husband or your wife, you can't treat them like normal. They, they that your 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 responsibilities become escalated exponentially because of it. But we, if we have time at the end, we can come back to that. Good. Perhaps we will come back to the notion of chosenness. But um, one of the things that I know you're most involved in uh, is an organization that speaks to the importance of gratitude. And our Torah portion uh, introduces us through the ceremony of Bikurim, in 26.2 to the notion of Bikurim. So for our listeners, I'm going to read that section. Uh, when you enter the land, the Lord your God is giving you as a heritage or an inheritance, and you possess it and settle in it, you shall take some of the first fruit of the soil, which you harvested from the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Put it in a basket and go to the place where the Lord your God will choose to establish his name. You shall go to the priest in charge at that time and say to him, I acknowledge this day before the Lord your God that I have entered this land and swore to our fathers, the priest shall take the basket from your hand and set it down in front of the altar of the Lord your God. So this is what's known as a first fruits ceremony, the Bikurim. And um, how do you understand this notion of Bikurim? 
both as it uh, is reflected in Torah and in modern Jewish living. So, if I, I, it, thanks for the, the wonderful question. Firstly, I think it's a lot of there's a lot of discipline because I, I know from my own experience that my, that if I see something for the first time that really catches my eye, my first impulse will be to say I want to have it. You know, so let's say uh, the first watermelon comes in the season, I gotta have the watermelon. Uh, and here you're introduced to an interesting biblical discipline, which is not so fast, sir. Uh, first fruits, you don't eat them. You take them and you bring them to uh, to Jerusalem and you give them over to the priest. It's almost like a little bit of an income tax. You show your appreciation to God by giving some of the, you, the first stuff that comes off you're giving that to the people who are doing God's bidding uh, in in the in the holy sanctuary in Jerusalem. So you may want to have it, but you can't have it. You have to share it. You have to acknowledge. You have to say thank you to ev- anyone and everyone who has been responsible, either totally or partially, in the largesse that you have. That's just a wonderful lesson in not only in discipline, but but in inculcating within us the idea that uh, you're not a one-man show or a one-person show. Uh, everything that you have, there's so many things that have to work out to, to make it happen, and you have to acknowledge that before you even can enjoy it. So one of the questions, there are a number of questions that emerge about this biblical notion of gratitude, but right. um, perhaps some of our listeners want to know uh, the, the parasha says that you shall, um, uh, take it to the altar. Um, uh, and in chapter, in verse two, it says to the place that God shall establish in his name, which we understand today as being the temple. What happened to the Israelites who were not living in Jerusalem in previous Parashiot, uh, the land was divided to the tribes. Was everybody required to go to Jerusalem? Yep. And what they did, obviously in those days they didn't have refrigeration. So what they had to do was take the sanctity of of the fruits, uh, put it onto money, and then bring the money to Jerusalem and then redeem it there. In other words, they didn't have to come right away. There weren't allowances made. There weren't any Uber drivers there or taxis or anything of that nature. Uh, so um, it was understood that there could be a problem with actually carrying this out uh, exactly as it's written, uh, because by the time you brought your first fruits there, they would not be ed- edible. So uh, everyone had to do it, but they had a way of doing it, uh, which kept. Jerusalem as the epicenter, uh, but also uh, made sure that uh, they kept to this obligation of bringing the first fruits. And were there priests in all the tribal areas that one could exchange the first fruits with for money that you would then bring to Jerusalem or send with a representative to Jerusalem? Yeah, so obviously there were ways of doing this that could get around it. Um, 
but uh, you and I know that uh, once it's written the way it is, people wanted to say, okay, this is my obligation, uh, and I want to take care of it. And it had a lot to do also with the fact, precisely because of the distances, he wanted to make sure that the connection between the epicenter of the Jewish uh, community and the rest of the community was not uh, severed by, by the issue of distance. So uh, they had uh, many instances when people had to come up. You know that there was the pilgrimages that they did every year to Jerusalem for Passover, for the Pentecost, and for the Tabernacles. Not everybody could make it. Uh, so uh, they had alternatives of observing it where they were. Uh, but the idea was that this would be the most ideal thing to do. Come as an entire family. Uh, go there and experience the sanctity of uh, being in, in the capital where all the action is going on and where all of the, uh, you know, the great, the great synagogue, which is what the, the uh, Holy Sanctuary was, uh, to, uh, to, to celebrate there. So ideally, everybody should go. Practically, not everyone could. So they were sort of you call like backup positions, fallback positions. Uh, but uh, we were hoping that as many people as could be would go up. And remember, it was because because of the fact that there were so many coming. So it all also became a um, an experience where people would get together with other members of the community that normally they probably wouldn't see because they lived in different places. So this was a wonderful way of keeping the community interconnected. Uh, it had so many interesting implications from the fact that they were coming up together. In the parasha, um, verse 5 um, offers us a uh, series of um, verses, sentences, which find themselves in the Passover Haggadah, uh, my father was a fugitive Aramean. He went down to Egypt with meager numbers and sojourned there. The, it's a litany of, uh, of historical events, which um, are included in the Passover Haggadah, the festive meal on the first night and second night of Passover. Do you think that's included as a reminder of gratitude? or as simply a historical uh, continuity? So, thousand percent right. This is actually the backbone, the spine of the Haggadah. Uh, the, the story um, uh, of our exodus uh, on Passover night, and this is the anchor for it. And I have no doubts in my own mind uh, that, Whoever it is, uh, to this day we don't know who, I think it was a collective effort, uh, who put the, the Haggadah together, was saying, okay, here we are celebrating on Passover Eve the fact that we are free, and what we need to do is to uh, express our gratitude. Passover evening is all about saying thank you and the gratitude. We recall everything, not just for the sake of a historical, uh, uh, you know, having a warm fuzzy feeling, but to say, okay, you're reliving it. This is exactly what happened. Now what? So the now what is, thank you very much for making this happen, which is why the end of 
the Haggadah is uh, all about praising Hallel. This is as the natural outgrowth of being free. Now, here we are uh, with this and saying, hold it a minute. You, you all just had wonderful fruits that you are enjoying, which is uh, great. But did you ever wonder how it came? You think that it just came out of nowhere and uh, it just fell into your laps? Uh, there's a lot that went, went uh, into having this happen, including some of the pretty ugly things that we had to endure in order to get to this point. So what you have here is an interesting lesson to say, okay, here you are, you're enjoying something in the present, which is very significant. Everybody needs to eat, and, and, and fruits are very much an important part of our staple. Uh, so when you come, uh, before you even can taste anything, it's not just enough to say, eh, you know, thank you very much and all that. We go to detail. Uh, so it's a thank you, which goes all the way back to the time of Jacob and uh, his wonderful uh, father-in-law, Laban, Arami Ovedavi. Uh, and it's a lesson which says, if you're going to express gratitude, don't make it a perfunctory thank you very much and uh, nice knowing you. Uh, a detailed thank you shows that you're very sincere about it, that you have a full appreciation of what happened and how it happened, and that you are so beholden so that when someone is hearing this, they're hearing a voice of sincerity. And you yourself who are saying it, when, as you're listening to your words, as you're expressing your, your gratitude, maybe you are becoming a little bit more impacted by this and realize how much went into this happening. So the more detailed the thank you it is, the more meaningful it is. Uh, and the more it becomes part and parcel of our uh, getting a lesson in if there's anything that happened to you that is good, make sure to say thank you. Uh, so it, gratitude, which is um, ingrained right. in Jewish tradition, certainly in this parasha, but not solely here, um, right. is discussed in relationship to the first fruits. But you and I um, don't travel uh, to Israel uh, with our first fruits anymore, since neither of us are farmers. Uh, and uh, many people don't travel to Israel, uh, unfortunately, and now, of course, due to the pandemic. So how is it ingrained in Jewish tradition uh, as we are urban people and don't have first fruits? Um, how do we express and how do we organize the notion of gratitude? So I, I always, it's a fascinating question. I always look upon this as uh, not a, um, a one-off, but as a model. Uh, in other words, what, what we're being introduced to here in, in the Torah is uh, that uh, when something good happens to you, in this instance, it's going to be when you come to Israel and it's going to be wonderful fruit, you should make sure to say thank you. But use this as a template uh, for whenever something nice happens to you, to look to the persons, starting, of course, obviously, uh, with thanking God, uh, which we do every day. The first thing we do is we thank God for being uh, awake and, uh, and alive. 
Um, so we've taken that lesson and, and inculcated it and uh, integrated it into our lives. But basically what this is telling us is, yeah, you may not always be able to bring the first fruit because you don't have a farm or whatever the case may be. But, for example, if you're making your first trip to Israel, uh, you get off the plane and you... Uh, you express your gratitude. You see someone there who was uh, who was involved in the, the establishment of the state. You say thank you to them. Uh, in other words, we want you to use this as the launching off point for you whenever something good happens to you and whatever you're enjoying in life to ask the simple question, how did this come to me? Answer the question and then say, okay, if that's the case, if this is how it happened, say how are you going to express your gratitude to all those who made it happen? So I see this as a um, as a launching off point for uh, living a life that is full full of uh, thank you, and uh, you can't go wrong. By the way, uh, you know when when for example we say a blessing uh, every time before we eat something or enjoy something, and then there's a concluding blessing afterwards. All this is really in simple terms is thank you for it before I enjoy it, and thank you for it after I enjoy it. So we've built up an entire uh, an entire lifestyle of obligations uh, in, in our daily activities uh, that are all uh, focused on uh, being appreciative, being thankful, being grateful, and uh, behaving accordingly. So in the beginning of the parasha, we have this... Uh notion of bringing first fruits. But shortly thereafter, the Torah portion adds something uh, to the notion of gratitude when it says in verse 11 and 12, uh, and you shall enjoy together with the Levite and the stranger in your midst all the bounty that the Lord your God has bestowed upon you and your household when you have set aside and fold the tenth part of your yield in the third year, the year of the tithe, and given it to the Levite, the stranger, the fatherless, the widow, and that they may eat their fill in your settlements. Um, so there it appears first fruits are related to the harvest festival, and one could have a limited number of harvests throughout the year. But when we introduce the notion of tithing, the Torah seems to expand this notion of tithing beyond a tithe to the sacrificial cult and the Levites who are the bureaucracy of the cultic expression, but to all those who live without uh, the community. Is this an unusual expansion of the notion of gratitude? Yeah, it's unusual, but uh, as you point out so eloquently, it is a natural one. In other words, what, what, what we're being told is that gratitude also has to be accompanied with awareness. You're lucky because you have a big field and you have all this stuff, but there are a lot of people who do not have that. The Levites don't even have a they don't have any land that they can claim is their own. And they're the people that they're like the public servants, they're, that the public service, uh, they, uh, where are they going to make their money from? Where are they going to eat from? But you're, you need them because they're, they're providing a service for you. So 
part of the gratitude is not just simply mouthing words and saying, oh, I'm really grateful. Show how grateful you are by sharing. Show how grateful you are for what you have by giving some of that. We're not asking for a lot. It's only 10% because you probably wouldn't be able to finish all of it anyway. So take 10% of that, which is, by the way, the anchor for the... Um, the obligation of giving uh, charity 10% of our uh, of our income to say, uh, I, I, this is not going to be sort of like uh, merely you're, you're mouthing it, but you don't really mean it. Show that you mean it. Show that you appreciate it and how blessed you are. And blessing means not that you're devouring it all on your own, uh, but that because you realize how lucky you are, you're sharing that with others. So, so, very- so it appears that it's expanded in, in the first verses, you spoke about the liturgical uh, modality of offering blessings in response to our well-being. And here, the Torah seems to go beyond the liturgical. It says not only should you offer a blessing of thanksgiving, but you need to share your largesse. Uh, You need to share your blessings with those who are less fortunate. Perfectly correct. And, and put it, let's put it in the other direction. Let's say you're coming and you're saying thank you to uh, uh, the, the priest for all the, all the blessings. And then you're saying, goodbye, Charlie, I'm going to go and eat now. Uh, so basically what you're doing is making this as an excuse for you to be able to do what you have to, what you really want to do, which is narcissistic pleasure. If you're really grateful, you become a self-transcending individual who is uh, who understands that because you are blessed, it places upon you an obligation to share that blessing with others. If you don't get that, then this is not gratitude. Uh, the real meaning of gratitude is to be aware of the fact that if you're really blessed and you have to therefore come with the realization that others may not be so fortunate, and if you really mean it, show that you mean it by sharing. So... There is, of course, within Jewish tradition, many ways to interpret biblical verses. Um, When the Torah in Leviticus speaks of the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow, is it your understanding and your teaching that it's only referring to those categories of people amongst the Israelites, or was the Torah alluding to all people who might be in that category? Oh, interesting, because Maimonides, in, in his codification of some of our obligations, says very clearly that our Maimonides, for our listeners, is a medieval uh, Spanish commentator known as both a philosopher and a codifier of Jewish law, as well as a doctor. Uh, undoubtedly one of our greatest stages of, uh, of all time within uh, in other words, if, if, they were, if they were Jewish baseball cards, Maimonides would be the Wayne Gretzky. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, but he says very clearly, no, the, the field, for example, the idea that the field has to be an open, uh, the idea that we have obligations of charity to the community applies to everyone. Uh, we have an obligation to make sure that the community is looked after. And if we have blessing, then... The idea is you share the blessing, and and basically it's interesting. We have it, let's say, in the in the book of Jewish ethics, Pirkei Avot is very very clear. It says as follows: Anyone who thinks 
that uh, because they have so much blessings, they're going to hoard it all for themselves. Uh, the end result will be that you're going to have a very serious poverty because you're keeping it all for yourself. That means you're making sure that a lot of people are not having it. And that means that you're going to have people who are desperate. Those people who are desperate, they're going to do desperate things. So it's almost as if they're saying there's a cause and effect over here. The more you share with others, the more you actually have. Not only in terms of uh, your, your being uh, in a good place as, as a human being, but also in terms of the tranquility of the community. It's a, more of a, it's a complete community where people share for each other. And if you have a blessing that, that uh, has been bestowed upon you, the more you keep it to yourself, the more that blessing becomes a curse. And the so more it, it's pretty uh, it's pretty obvious that the Torah was not only a religious document, but a political document, uh, calling right, yeah. upon the Israelites to establish a community ba- in a political sense based on uh, gratitude and sharing uh, without having to label it in a political sense. Um, Rabbi Boca, I want to thank you on behalf of our listeners for sharing with us this morning. For Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts, I'm Rabbi Stephen Garten. You can ha- hear a podcast of this morning's show on iTunes or on the CHRI website. For those who are listening this morning, I wish you a good day and shalom. Israel.